children are going to be bringing alive the scripture for the most part for us today, but I felt like I would be negligent in my responsibilities if I didn't have anything to say about the word this morning. So our first scripture lesson this morning comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 55. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts, in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. The Gospel of the Lord. Author of life, we thank you for these words and for the continuing presence of your word in our lives. Allow your spirit to rest upon us as we contemplate what you have said, so that we might be transformed in heart, mind, and soul. So before I get to unpacking the scripture lesson that we just heard, I want to share with you another reading from a poem called The Heliand. The Heliand is a retelling of the gospel story for a 9th century Anglo-Saxon audience. It was written for these northern European people as a way for them to understand the story of Christ in their own words. You can think of it like the gospels told in the style of Beowulf. This is what it has to say about the interaction between Mary and Gabriel. His messenger Gabriel, the angel of the all-ruler, then came to Galilee land. There he knew a lovely young woman, a girl who had reached her maidenhood. Her name was Mary. Joseph, a nobleman, was engaged to her, David's daughter. What a precious bride and virtuous woman she was. There, in the hill fort Nazareth, the angel of God addressed her face to face, calling her by her name and saying to her from God, Health be with you, Mary. Your Lord is very fond of you. You are precious to the ruler for your wisdom, woman full of grace. The editor of my translation of the Heliand notes that the phrase, Your Lord is very fond of you, is one that Martin Luther also took particular care with. In Latin, it's gratia plena, which we hear translated most often as full of grace. However, in Luther's eyes, the rendering full of grace makes Mary sound like a vessel to be filled, like a mug of beer. 
This is why Luther follows the author of the Helion in suggesting the translation, Du bist deinem Herrn lieb, meaning you are dear to your Lord. And while this may seem like nitpicking, I think it's a beautiful way of reminding us that the incarnation is an act that God performed out of love for humanity. As John says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But here in the infancy narrative, we're told even more narrowly of God's love for Mary. And this also helps us make sense of the song of praise that Mary sang this morning. This song, also called the Magnificat, shows us the heart of the one whom God loves. And while Mary may speak of mercy, she also speaks of justice. The proud are scattered, the powerful brought low, the rich sent away with nothing. In their place, the humble are looked upon with favor, the lowly are lifted up, and the hungry are filled with good things. Because what we see is that mercy and justice are two sides of the same coin called holiness. Mercy is shown to those who suffer, while justice awaits those who benefit from human suffering. It's in the tension of these forces, between mercy and justice, between love and accountability, that holiness resides. Without mercy, then justice becomes tyrannical, but without accountability, then love becomes hollow. So as we celebrate the birth of our Lord in the coming days, I urge us to keep in mind this tension. I urge us to consider when our talk of love becomes shallow and meaningless, when love becomes a word that we substitute for action. But I also urge us to consider when our talk of justice becomes cold-hearted, when obedience to the law becomes a substitute for compassion. Because even as we celebrate the birth of Christ, we await his return, and we want to prepare our hearts so that he will also say to us, you are dear to your Lord. Amen. Every time I read the Christmas story, there's something new that strikes me. As I approached the text this year, there was one verse in particular that caught my eye. Luke 2.14, in the New Revised Standard Version, reads, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. It's the very end of the sentence there that struck me. On earth, peace among those whom he favors. For you see, I'm so used to the King James, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men, that I must have just skimmed over the particularity of this verse on previous readings. The editors of the Wesleyan Study Bible note that in some ancient manuscripts, it is in fact goodwill toward men. So I did some digging to see if there's anything resembling a consensus about this phrase. Of the 28 translations that I looked at, 19 of them used some variation of the more particular phrasing, that there will be peace on earth among those whom God favors or is pleased with. Which raises the question, who are the people that God favors? 
to answer this question, we get some of the pieces from the person in whom God chose to become incarnate. We can look at the fact that Jesus was a Palestinian Jew living under Roman occupation who became a refugee as a toddler and start to get a picture of whom God favors. God could have chosen to embody any person on the planet. He could have been born into power or luxury. And instead, he's born into a seemingly unremarkable family near the bottom of society. He chooses not to dwell with emperors and generals, but with the marginalized and the vulnerable. In case we need further proof of the kind of person whom God favors, we need to merely take a brief survey of his gospel and mission. After all, Christmas is not just a commemoration of the birth of Christ, but a celebration of the promise that Christ will return in glory. So we might as well know who it is that we're waiting for. Let's take a look at what Christ has to say about whom God favors. In the Beatitudes, we see Jesus preach, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. All those whom Christ blesses in this passage are of two kinds. Those who suffer or those who have compassion on the suffering. A similar list of favored persons appears later in Christ's teaching when he proclaims that he is with the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, and the imprisoned. The teachings of Christ are consistent throughout that the poor, the vulnerable, and the outcasts are the favored people of God. When we look at Christ's ministry, we see the same pattern emerge. Perhaps the form of ministry Christ most engaged in was providing healing to the sick. It seems as though everywhere he went, he found someone in need of healing. Some reached out and took it. Others carried friends too unwell to help themselves, while others approached with humble requests. There was no wrong way to turn to Christ for help. His love for the sick was unconditional. And on the occasion that we see Christ encounter those who are grieving for Lazarus, he is moved by compassion to weep for their grief. This compassion is the driving force of Christ's life. One of the other features of Christ's healing is that he often violates cultural boundaries to heal the sick. He touches those considered unclean. He speaks to those considered taboo. And this boundary crossing is an essential part of who our Messiah is. He spoke to those, like the woman at the well, who others saw as being from the wrong place and the wrong people. When he was confronted by those wishing to stone a woman to death for a perceived sexual impropriety, he came to her defense. He broke people's expectations of the law by healing on the Sabbath and by working for food on the Sabbath. In fact, by not coming as a mighty military commander, Christ broke the expectations of what the people expected from a Messiah. From birth to death, 
and in the resurrection, Christ is someone who crosses boundaries for love. Christ, born in a manger, also shows solidarity throughout his life for the poor. After all, he himself was a homeless man who wandered the countryside, cursing fig trees for not giving him fruit and stealing grains from fields as he wandered through them. And as he taught, he proclaimed things like, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. And it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. For Christ, it was quite clear, you cannot serve God and wealth. This solidarity for the poor is rooted in a radical devotion to God. It's the kind of devotion that says money is only as good as the good that it produces. So now that we have a picture of our Messiah as he lived, we can ask the question, whom does God favor today? He favors the refugees around the world that imitate the Holy Family by fleeing from violence in search of a better life. He favors the families who have completed a treacherous journey to safety only to be placed in detention centers. He favors the people who risk life and limb to cross deserts and oceans in search of hope, the people who die fleeing from warfare. To these present-day holy families, Christ says, I know your pain. I have walked the path you walk. He favors those who live under military occupation as he did. He favors his Palestinian brothers and sisters who still live under occupation 2,000 years after him. He favors the people of Iraq and Afghanistan living in countries still recovering from warfare and occupation. He favors the people of Syria who struggle to carve out lives in between competing forces. He favors the people of Korea who live under the occupation of the longest war in modern history. To these victims of violence, the Prince of Peace says, in my kingdom, nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. He favors all those who are persecuted. He favors people of color who are murdered because they are seen to have, to have the wrong skin color in the wrong place at the wrong time. He favors the people who are forced to suffer humiliations because an official bars them from athletics for having the wrong kind of hair. He favors the LGBTQ community that suffers under families who throw them out of their homes, under employers who can fire them because of whom they love, and from a society that routinely beats and kills them. Worse, these sufferings are often inflicted by people operating under the guise of being good Christians. To those who are persecuted, the Lamb of God says, I too was a victim of state-sanctioned murder. I too was publicly humiliated. I too was persecuted by zealous people of faith. To all these communities, the angels of the Lord are speaking when they announce the birth of Christ. To everyone who suffers at the hands of human sinfulness, 
Christ has come to bring peace. And what about those who are not in these communities? What about those of us who are fed, who have comfortable houses, who live in safety and are allowed to love whom we choose? How are we to gain Christ's favor? As I said earlier, Christ's blessings are offered to two kinds of people, those who suffer and those who have compassion on the suffering. So for those of us who suffer less than others, we must offer space for the voiceless to have a voice. We must look with compassion on those who seek comfort and safety. We must be in ministry with those whom Christ favors. Our God took on the form of a human. He emptied himself of power and station in order to walk among the most vulnerable of his children. And what Christ did, the Holy Spirit is still doing, and God will continue to do until the end of the age. If we wish to be true to our God, we cannot worship the God of outcasts, the poor, and the sick in this sanctuary and then attack the dignity of outcasts, the poor, and the sick once we step out the door. We must take up the mantle of the manger. We must give all that we have of ourselves so that the world can know God's love. Amen.